0: Hello there. Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. <laughs> I'm
1: Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Ask Me Anything.
0: My name is Justin. Guys, Heavy Hole tonight. How you doing?
1: <laughs> tonight, <laughs> every night, man. I'm I'm right over here. How you guys doing? Pretty swell. Uh, that's
0: not a play into the heat, but definitely swell.
1: Well, There's swelling? What's going on? Are you okay? I feel like you I'm need swelling. A, do you need an ice pack? Yeah, it feels swollen, I actually dude. have a ice. I have an ice pack in this uh, bag over here, allegedly cooling some beers. I think I'm gonna
0: start like a heat-themed black metal band because they're all about cold. Mm. But I've been like working this. in my basement in the dark because I have one window, and I usually put an air conditioning in there. But I want to see the window, so it's like I'm looking out a cave all day long. It's, it's huh. quite the uh, experience.
1: Caveman black metal.
0: Yeah, the warm L- living warm that black caveman
1: band, yes. maggot stomp lifestyle. Exactly. I'm not complaining. All right, man. I'm gonna send you some vitamin B pills, allegedly, uh, and, and make sure that you're getting your dose. Uh, Justin, how you, Justin, your room looks brighter, Justin. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, These—I haven't changed my bulbs. Um, it's <laughs>
0: kind of annoying. It's hurt my eyes a little bit, but yeah, it's all good, dude. Just working all day, getting warm, and then going outside, standing in a kiddie pool, rinsing my feet off,
1: and letting not, out, the, that nice, cool nice, kind of soak nice, up. Classic.
0: Yeah, just. Classic. Classic. Man, just sweating, dude.
1: Uh, Okay. Other than that, having a great time. (laughs) Nice, because both of you guys work uh, from home uh, via the computer most of the time, if I'm not mistaken right allegedly that's correct yeah yes. you
0: know when the pandemic happened and everyone had was forced to be home nothing changed i understand
1: yeah. i stopped coming over that that that, that changed that changed I mean, yes that's very true come on
0: uh, but you know how like uh, a lot of people were like "Oh, i'm going stir crazy at home this working at home th- isn't so great and it's like <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah i've been doing it forever i could have told you that you've been stir crazy man i know you <laughs> I attempted to lay myself off uh, in the beginning of the pandemic, <laughs> but then I needed money, so I hired myself back,
1: you know? Good. Full circle.
0: Congratulations.
1: Well, you'll, you'll always have a job here on the Heavy Hole Podcast, um, yeah. but we, we don't pay you. <laughs> <laughs> we don't pay ourselves either. What does the Patreon account go to? Like, cassette tapes and fresh socks for the videos? So far, it's just
0: been these microphones, and then it's sitting there until we can uh, pay for an RV to go to Maryland Death Fest in the year 2026. Yes, Yes, (laughs)
1: sitting there in an empty New Balance uh, sneaker cardboard box underneath Tom's bed.
0: (laughs) Uh, That's why I got the Patreon password.
1: Well, you know, since you guys don't care, I'm just going to tell the listeners, because I know they got my back (laughs) about what I've been doing and how my weekend was. (laughs) Yeah. It's all right. I'm a, a cave guy. guy. How, how are you doing over there? Ca- What's yeah, going on, Will? Cave, cave guy and uh, fluorescent light essence over there that's just talking <laughs> to me through the computer. <laughs> it's like you guys are like a yin-yang on Skype right now with like how dark Tom's room is and how bright the effervescent studio is behind Justin. I'm just go. playing it up. I'm I'm doing all right, man. I've been sweating my ass off doing uh, yard work. Um, did a little bit of the old uh, lawn mowing and weed whacking and uh, trimming a forsythia bush. Mm. Uh, which is Oh oh wow man This guy just switched up The whole Skype thing on me man Just moved into a different uh, office I like this It looks like you're on a spaceship This is great Or Ikea Either one um, Pretty close Yeah uh, Just doing my thing man uh, Perusing uh, cassette tapes online That's kind of like my new little thing It's a, a thrifty way to splurge On some new releases 20 bucks spin Making most of their new releases Available on cassette Just to plug them again Other labels as well um, that, That's about it man Not a lot going on A lot of writing um, I don't know if I want to really reveal what's going on behind the scenes completely. Um, you know, like the little guy behind the curtain in Wizard of Oz. But everyone knows that um, uh, Artificial Brains album. Uh, you know, probably you know would have been close to being out by now, or at least finished by now. But with uh, you know the, the coronavirus and a lot of everything going, you know, we're we're we're, we're all working behind that uh, behind the scenes on that. But um, after birth, right back to work. Uh, those guys never cease to amaze me. I don't know if the wor- if the song is ready to um, to have vocals added to it yet, but there's a lot of ideas floating around. Very excited about that new Afterbirth material. And a couple of things behind the scenes. Tom, you know what's going on with one of them, but I'm not going to spill the beans on anything. But um, uh, just working hard behind the scenes, man. Uh, and I got a little project of my own, a little one-man project I'm, I'm uh, mani- manipulating on a four-track uh, behind the scenes, man. So there's a lot of stuff going on, man. You know, very excited to um, to at least be productive and, and, and creative, man. You know, I'm excited that, that uh, you know, the people I wor- work on music with and in, in, in bands with, we can all do stuff through the, um, through the computer. Reeking Aura, you know, for instance. Don't get too into that because we got some questions for you. Um, if you
0: don't mind, I think I'll just get... You room. didn't
1: hear me roll up on the Segway? It's silent now because <laughs> it's electric.
0: <laughs> Thank you for introducing your new electric um, economy Segway uh, that I will now uh, put in on. the garage. Uh, with this so tonight we're gonna change up what we're doing you know the podcast we interview all kinds of people we get a lot of questions for will we do have a full Q and A on the patreon so if you want to check that out like questions for all of us we thought it would be a, a good idea to kind of flip everything up and interview
1: will smith of heavy whole podcast fame yeah not not the other will smith man he's got enough going on right now it's he, crazy no one wants to know about him Never thought I'd feel bad for that guy, man. It's pretty wild. What's going- All right, um, but <laughs> yeah, yeah um, it's some intense shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: So, so yeah, we're gonna interview Will. Change this up a bit. It, it sounds like a great idea.
1: Uh, well, let's get him on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> Ring him up. Uh, yeah, and just for clarification, this wasn't me, um, like with the calendar booking July and saying, you know, who'd be a good guest? Let the guys, <laughs> let the guys blow smoke on my ass for two hours. Um, uh, we were talking about it. We were talking about different discussions and different things we could do uh, tonight. We, you know, we had a guest on on the hook. We, we have a few guests that were kind of like international guests and guests where the scheduling is getting a little wild right now. So sometimes things get thrown off, and we got to do it next week. Uh, so we were talking about what to do this week, and we did have kind of a, a few, a little bit of a backlog of some questions, I guess, for me about my projects, which I always appreciate. And um, you know Tom thought it might be a good idea. Tom actually suggested this uh, to, to grill me um, and put me put me to all my lease.
0: yeah, so with no further ado, let's get right the fuck into it. Big Will, welcome to the Heavy Hole.
1: Oh, thanks, guys. I know yeah, you, I know nice you to listen here. to
0: the show, so you know how it goes, You know, as we usually do. I'm going to ask you, um, <laughs> are you from a particularly musical or podcast-oriented <laughs> family?
1: No, no way. Uh, I had an Uncle Eddie, who was uh, an, an older guy by the time I was a little kid, so I didn't know him very well, but uh, he played accordion and a um a polka band a polish polka band and apparently i heard i always hear how they traveled up and down the east coast they play weddings and polish halls things of that nature but that's going way back um other than that no nothing man I, i i come from fairly um uh i don't know what you say like fairly fairly i guess stern blue collar uh people on my father's side you know no no musicians not a lot of creativity my mother's my mother's a, like a visual artist more. She's my mother and my uh, my aunt, who's her twin sister, have always been dedicated uh, painters, illustrators. Um, they've had you know they've done a little business over the years. That when I was a kid, they used to make T-shirts for local businesses and make signs for people and things of that nature. Um, and they they still every once in a while they'll do a craft fair and they'll sell. It. They're they're more talented than they'll give themselves credit for. It. Um, but but no music. No, I was I, music was always like. Uh, it was a freak thing i guess you know
0: what, was there a, i mean was there stuff going on in the house like while, while your parents are making things like uh you know like what were the sounds of of growing up
1: of, of home life you know the radio's on what's well, w- what's playing i w- i was recording myself early on i had a oh, um yeah? a big ass i think it came with like sesame street books and cassettes about sesame street but it did have a record option. And fairly early on, some someone gave me a blank tape and I was recording myself singing songs, like singing Christmas, Christmas carols. My, my mom still has a tape of me singing Christmas carols and making silly, jo- whatever, with the dog and stuff. I was, you know, a little kid. And it was like a little, like one of those first little kid um, cassette things, man, back in the day. Uh, my mom, my dad was never a music guy. Um, I've told the ZZ Top story about how he started following ZZ Top lately. Other than that, there's one other music story with my dad. Like when I was a teenager one time, he brought home a best of Billy Joel CD that a friend of of his from work loaned him Mm. and asked me to set up a little boombox in his room. He listened to it once through that night, gave it back to his friend, and that was it. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Well, speaking of Billy Joel, uh, you're born and raised
0: on Long Island through and through, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's no surprises there, right? You, don't, you didn't move out to uh, to Prague for a couple of years or anything, right?
1: No, no, no. I've always lived in Huntington Station, man. Always. I've moved around in Hun- within Huntington Station, but they never let me out of Huntington Station. Is it true that your
0: first exposure to heavy music uh, was through hmm. Gore Noise innovator Adam Rotella?
1: Yeah, the underground was through Adam first exposure to death metal was a friend who was like he was like a real troublemaker kid i'm not gonna say his name or nothing but um he got into a lot of trouble and and then i went, went to a different school or dropped out of school eventually but in like seventh or eighth grade which is like 12 or 13 uh he had cannibal corpse butchered at birth and loaned me the cassette and it was like too much for me in like the beginning of seventh grade like i listened to it and i was like i don't you know like it, Not that it scared me, but it kind of like turned me off. I wasn't ready for I was listening to like Iron Maiden and stuff like that. So like like the heavy music thing was a natural progression because my mother was always a rock and roll person, like Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, Van Halen, the rock mm-hmm. and roll radio station in the 80s, Pearl Jam and, and grunge rock into the 90s, things like that. And then I, I found out about Iron Maiden and Sepultura and Pantera and all that stuff through the commercial ways. Had a general sense about Cannibal Corpse and Napalm Death and stuff like that, but wasn't really ready for it. And then I started hanging out with Adam and his brothers and his cousins. And Adam was like, Here's this t- tape I dubbed you of Dead Infections Chapter of Accidents and Cryptopsy None So Vile on the B side. And it just clicked at that point because I was immersed with people that knew about it and would tell me stories about it. And it's always been a community camaraderie thing for me with the underground music because I was now immersed with Adam and his friends and his, like I said, his cousins and his brother who were. You know, whether they were into punk rock or hardcore, or grindcore, death metal, whatever it was, it was this tape trading network now, which I fell into very quickly. And, um, yeah, so Adam Rotella kind of just, like, took the faucet of heavy music and pulled it full blast, where it was just trickling with, you know, your more commercial stuff for me. So you
0: mentioned tape trading and stuff. When do you start uh, actually doing mail correspondence with individuals from the underground community? Like, how old were you when you were doing that?
1: I guess I was probably like 14 or 15. It had to be 90 man, more more like 16 maybe. Well, uh, well let's see. I, it was like my freshman year of high school and that was 96. So you're talking I was um I was probably about 14 or 15, yeah, and I started sending out Adam gave me ads for things like you know, I've talked about um, uh, Charlie Infection from Psycho from Boston with its you know uh, infection distribution and I ordered a lot of tapes and records from him and then he'll send you all the ads and it just spirals out of control from there and you got a bunch of packages coming before I knew it Adam had a drum machine and a guitar and a four track uh, bringing it over to my house um, and, and I would do my primitive growls over it probably when I was 14 or 15 and we had our projects Liquified Maggots is listed on Metalum, But we had a whole bunch of different names and tapes and stuff that we never released through the years And and, it, and as soon as I had tapes of my own noise To reproduce and make photocopied covers for I was trading with other people for their demos from all over the world Captain Three Leg um, Which was a, a, a grindcore band Um uh, like lividity, uh, the guys from lividity, I think Dave Kibler and Matt Bishop, those guys were big in the tape trading. That that I think dreaded zine, I want to say, and they they traded tapes. And a lot of people would just have a flyer with like ten different tapes on it, and, and you you know you trade or send send them five bucks wrapped up in paper in, a, in an envelope, and you get a tape in the mail, shit like that, man. Hmm. So yeah, like all through high school, like all through high school, like that's when I was I was I I, I introverted into the death metal scene and out of my local like high school community except for a few friends you know and i joined my first death metal band cursed earth i think i was i believe i was still 15 when i joined cursed earth because adam who was a few years older than me and had been to shows knew chris michaels from umbilical strangulation um and uh and knew that chris was jamming with some guys this is out in new hyde park which is like 45 minutes on the train half hour on the train or so towards queens from huntington and, and uh he knew they were looking for a singer and even though they were like in their early 20s and i was 15 those guys like i just came through and started doing guttural growls and and then we started playing shows in queens and everything and the underground scene was home from then on so yeah like you could say 15 or 16. cool
0: man yeah you, yeah you, you uh you hit so deep with it man uh like it seems like when you first uh like when you got that first tape like you said open the floodgates um <laughs> so when uh, when did you first become aware of of the band Demolich?
1: That was I would say early 97. Adam, I remember had the Okay, now now I'm kind of cuz there was the Necropolis Records version of it. And then what was the label? I want to say Repulse Records version of it. And one of them was the original, and one of them was the reissue with the demo. I want to say Necropolis maybe reissued with the demo. You know, the the you know they're gonna tear they're gonna eat me alive on the internet for not knowing that right now at this moment in time. (laughs) But you guys know what I'm talking about. At one point, at one point, whatever label it was reissued it in the '90s with the demo as bonus tracks. And Adam got a hold of it, and um, you know we all either bought it or dubbed it off of Adam. And then the guy Tom, who started Biolich with me, was in the circle of metalhead friends of ours back then, and he got a hold of the CD, and he started learning. He was a multi-instrumentalist from a young age. He was a prodigy musician, really, self-taught and everything, one of those people that just, whatever. And he, he taught himself how to kind of play guitar and drums um, in that style and started making instrumental tapes, and I started just trying to do that guttural Demolich style over them. So, yeah, you, you know, you're talking if I found out about death metal and underground music when I was 15 and I would pr- I'd probably found out about Demolich a few months later, you know. Cool. And then you, you started
0: to, to kind of touch on it, but uh, I'd love for you to go into a little more like a little more depth about picking up a microphone. Like, you know, what yeah. uh, like what caused you, you know, like how, how did that spark kind of start, uh, you know, your early influences, obviously, like kind of Demolic. But, yeah, what's going through your head while you're making those sounds? Like, wait, was it peer pressure? Was it, uh, you know, did it look cool? I mean, you mentioned, too, uh, going back as a kid singing Christmas, car- Christmas carols, so there's always kind of something there.
1: Yeah, like, I, I was thinking about it, and I was always a real class clown type of kid. I was always kind of a weirdo a little mm-hmm. bit. I was never, like, with the cool kids or nothing like that. But I, I could manage to kind of tag along, in a sense, every once in a while. Um, by being a class clown as a, as a little kid, you know And I was always be outlandish and weird And that's how I could get attention And kind of make the other kids laugh Give the teachers a hard time I was kind of like that kid And, um... Uh, you know, so I never had a problem Kind of, like, acting out in front of people, I guess And in a weird way, I feel like that translates Like, now I got kind of, like, a handle on it And I use that, you know, when I perform live with my bands or something You know, if that makes sense And, um picking up a mic I had no idea for BioLitch, I cringe at most Biolitch recordings the 2001 demo I felt like I went and really rehearsed and I got a good sound you know on the four track that day in the living room but um uh other than that most Biolich stuff makes me cringe at my old my own like ineptitude at that age to do vocals because I just had no no idea about timing and breathing and vocal patterns and how to I was just always kind of reaching, I was I would just kind of like read out my lyrics without committing them to the music as much, you know, I feel like I learned a lot from what I didn't like listening back to Biolich, and it might have been frustrating to the other guys in Biolich too, I don't know, but um, I, yeah, when it comes to Biolich, you know, if other people enjoy the music, then that's cool, but for me personally, like yeah, what was going on behind the mic was me, I guess, trying to imitate maybe Demolich and Afterbirth and uh Disgorge and whatever other bands, but um, there was a long stretch of a learning curve for me that I traced right up until like you know, recently, you know. So so it was just kinda like me trying to fake it till I make it, so to speak, I guess. Because I was around a lot of musicians and I was around a lot of people and for some reason there weren't a lot of people doing the death metal vocals, the gurgly stuff, the you know, back then in the late nineties. And I was willing to do it, and I was just just like I am now, I sometimes I do too much, My band, any bandmate of mine who's been in a project, I'll to, you guys will tell people, sometimes I do too much, sometimes I'm a little extra, sometimes I'm, you know, whatever it is, man, and, and I've always been like that, so I kind of just, I've been through a lot of bands, I've jammed with a lot of people, and, you know, some people, you know, eventually I find the crew of people that'll tolerate me and record something with me and play a show with me, you know, that's always how it's been.
0: It's kind of a funny way to put it Because you have a lot of bands and people You, you have a a fan base You know, you, you're huh. in these other bands That we're going to get into later You're not um, That's obviously a lot of your own perspective on it Which is definitely good for our listeners to hear
1: Well, uh, yeah, dude I mean, I, you know, I'm super grateful For all the projects I've been involved with And all the people Especially that would want to listen to this podcast and, and just listen to me be the guest And talk about my stuff But um, it, for me, I I bought a bass guitar when I was about twelve or thirteen years old. I had um odd jobs and things like that, and saving money, and, and I saved up money, and um I bought it from Huntington Bay Music. You guys know the guy Willie? Oh yeah, remember I know him? Willie. I'm, I remember Willie. Yeah, what a, what a guy. <laughs> well, hey, I don't know him that well. I just remember I bought a bass from him, and I took. Well, actually, this is pretty. Now that I think about it, think about this with Willie. I bought a bass, and I, to- I took, when I was 12 or 13 years old, before I was into extreme music, and I took two or three lessons from Willie, and on the second or third one, I guess I was shy, and I was introverted, even though I was a real big kid, and he had me go out and stand outside of the little, like it was like, kind of like a vocal booth that he would t- give you a lesson in in the back of Huntington Bay Music, mm-hmm. and he said, stand up, go out, stand up, stand outside the door of this vocal booth right here, and I was just in the shop. And there was a guy at the cashier desk, too. And he said, just scream. Scream as loud as you can. And as, and, and as like, in, you know, a kid, I was just, I went, ah, or whatever I did. <laughs> and then he looked at the cashier guy, because the cashier guy looked back. He didn't know what happened. He said, this guy's going to be a monster someday. And then he tried to teach me a Led Zeppelin bass line. <laughs> and I gave up the bass, and I eventually used the bass to make noise core with Adam but come to think of it, I ended up screaming and growling for the next like thirty. And Willie is probably the first person that opened me up to do vocals, which I really just kind of realized thinking about it. In that one moment, he he, you know, he told me to go outside and scream when I had when instead he was trying to be teaching me bass guitar. So maybe that guy has some. Maybe who knows? Maybe I, he knew. You know what?
0: Willie Steele always had a bit of sparkle in his eye. He's got a magic yeah. thing about him. No I'll shit. give I'll
1: give him a little bit of credit for that man. I I appreciate the guy for what he did. And I st- that bass guitar that would be a, I should take pictures of it for the Patreon people. Man, it's still in the basement somewhere, but it's beaten to sh- Me and Adam basically destroyed that thing making noise with it. <laughs> but that's a whole whole other story, man. Yeah, yeah. But um, so um, uh, you, you know, but yeah, I was just trying to illustrate how like you know. The whole bass guitar story was I tried with playing bass. I tried with keyboards. I wasn't really musically adept. The vocals was a long, hard-won skill that I've kind of made for myself. And even being able to do vocals in death metal bands like I do, there wasn't always this kind of readiness of people to collaborate with oh. and people to support those collaborations up until maybe the last decade. With, through my teens and 20s, a lot of those probably when we were doing them, BioLich, Cursed Earth, and... Whatever you know, the the early years of artificial brain, early years of Buckshot facelift. There was no one at those shows. I'm I'm the guy that was driving and playing for nobody on Monday nights in Manhattan and driving home, getting up at six a.m. to go to work. I did that. I did that over and over. So that's if you want to talk about my perspective based on the listener's perspective or whatever when they see me in all these projects, like. I um I stuck it out a long time and I'm really glad I did and didn't give up on this shit because now I feel like I'm in a space where I'm collaborating with some of the most talented people that I'm I'm glad to be collaborating with. You know? Hell yeah, dude.
0: Yeah dude. Um so just to rewind a little bit, uh Violet started as a demolic worship band. You guys knew that it did right off the bat. You weren't trying to say, Oh, this is our sound like uh you weren't mm-hmm. jocking the sound. It was like homage, correct? No. Uh, so the demolish stuff is pretty prevalent in the um, omniversal descent upon lower planes of controversial logic <laughs> demo in 1997. Uh, I, I'm
1: assuming that's one of your, your wordsmithings? I wrote all the lyrics. That was always, you know, the idea being if, if there's another guy that's playing bass guitar and drums. I should at least be doing the lyrics and the vocals, right? Um, and uh, you guys put out a, a he, demo
0: every year from 2001 to 2004, and then finally releasing the Space Between Home and Today EP. The Demolic influences yeah. are less and less throughout the discography. Um, they're still there. They're still incorporated. But there's other elements, like more technical parts, um melodic parts, ambient sounds, prog elements, things that, like, listening to it almost... I could recommend to someone who listened to early Between the Buried of Me. Um, now, <laughs> knowing you and how much of a lifer you are with death metal, did you push back at all with the guys in the band? Were you not, like, into that?
1: There was, yeah, there was there was always pushback, man. Me and the guy, um, Tom from Biolich, there was we had a kind of volatile friendship like we always we were we were biolich for the first i guess you want to say four years of the band until 2001 when andrew and dan joined on bass and guitar uh it was just the guy tom recording all the instruments on like several demos um i don't know what's there's a biolich blog spot somewhere that i have nothing to do with but they post most of our stuff but you can tell, basically, the, that first Omniversal Descent demo was like us just geeking on Demolich and within our like primitive capability, trying to emulate what we heard, you know. And you end up with this kind of, um, uh, you know, Demolich toddler, rugrat version of Demolich. And um, uh, uh, after that, I think the ba- I think immediately the musical direction became a lot more about gore guts because Obscura came out and blew everybody's mind, and um, Cryptopsy also, Cryptopsy, I really think that Cryptopsy and Gore Guts became a lot more prevalent influences in in BioLich early on, like right after that first demo, and the vocals were the main thing that became the DemoLich tie-in, because my vocals were like more the frog vocal thing, and um, then Andrew and Dan joined in 2001, and immediately when they joined, they started participating in the writing, which added that's when and you talk about between the buried and me, it's funny because they you know, that's the early two thousands, that's when they were like really hot and still I guess perceived as a little bit more from the hardcore and death metal realm than yeah. just kind of like um more of a commercial entity and I don't say that to knock them. But, you know, they were still coming from the underground a little more in the early two thousands, you know, and they and, and and that sort of thing. And um you know, yeah, and metalcore in general. And and the right before the, the band disbanded, um, Number 12 Looks Like You became a huge influence on the drummer, who even uh-huh. though he, he kind of fell back to drums when Andrew and Dan joined, um, he still was a head songwriter. He wrote most of the stuff on guitar. The other guys contributed riffs. Every once in a while, they'd write a song here and there. And as the band, we had a full length pretty much all written before the band broke up that the other guys contributed a lot more of the writing on. but. He was always the, like the brainchild behind BioLich musically. It was a lot of his stuff, and he took everything that they did in a lot of ways and mixed it in with his style. And, um, and that's why there could never be you know a reunion or anything, man, because none of us will work with him uh, again, and it's just not going to happen. Um, but it couldn't happen without him either, you know, for that matter. So it was like so getting back to the whole DemoLich thing, that was really for like the first, maybe the second demo, and then we would always have a riff. Like, oh, let's have a Demolich part here, you know, or something like that. And then the vocals, you know, the guttural thing, you know, we, we kept. But even if you listen to, like, The Space in, Between Home and Today, the, the last EP, yeah. there was hardcore vocals, there's grindcore vocals, there's pitch shifter stuff going on. There's, you know. There's clean we, vocals, um, man.
0: Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's yeah, a whole new Well, animal. that
1: was. that So, the Tom, the drummer, added those vocals um, after we all after he because he mixed and recorded everything he played us all the mix of it and gave a, probably you know gave us a burnt cd or whatever it was of of the the final mix that was going to be released of it that didn't have the clean vocals if i remember correctly and then whatever it was when it was finally released there's the clean vocals that you know i honestly didn't want um so you didn't even know they were going to be on there well that's him singing that's not me yeah
0: i know but he like showed um, you it before he vo- he put the vocals yeah. on yeah <laughs> Well, that
1: there was a lot of weird stuff. I mean, if I could, you know, there's there's that. There's the um, the Sparrows and Wheelbarrows EP, which was basically just scratch tracks for, like, an EP. We were going to do an EP called that and everything, but he released, like, the rehearsal scratch tracks with his own re-recorded drums over them with stuff that we, the rest of us, didn't want released from our parts, you know, and that was that. And then he, you know, you're dealing with somebody who had mental health issues, and and, um... He eventually. There was so much contentiousness within the band because I didn't really like the metalcore direct. I don't think any of us liked the metalcore direction, um, except for him, who really liked that kind of metalcore. Number twelve looks like you grindcore emo screamo mat mashup thing that was going on a lot, um, and that and and there was so much. Me and him had a lot of animosity, and. Um, and, and, you know, man, I've never been the easiest person to work with every once in a while myself, you know, so, you know, maybe I wasn't the, the best uh, person to be around him either, but it just whatever. What, and, and he broke up the band at a certain point, kind of just telling us, you know, whatever. And he made an announcement by, like, making up this fictitious interview with a fictitious Brazilian online webzine that he posted on our MySpace about why the band was breaking up and everything and that's how we found out about it or I, how i found out and it was just a really weird mm-hmm. thing and i didn't talk to him for a long time and even then it was just because like my girlfriend at the time felt bad for him so like i would you know um i would talk to him every once in a while and, and stuff like that but like you know i kind of just like was was so over it because i put so much work into biolich and we played a lot of shows in those four or five years and the whole thing just fell the fuck apart man and um and it was a real fucking weird dark time in 2006 when that happened yeah and um, and we left behind a bunch of music that people have kind of compiled online and I have no qualms if people want to listen to music it's not my responsibility or my um, uh, you know care what people want to download and listen to in the privacy of their home if it's some old Biolitch record it's out there on the internet and I'm not making any money off it so whatever you
0: know? <laughs> well damn
1: that's some interesting yeah.
0: shit though yeah. Um, okay, so uh, in 2005, uh, you joined Buckshot Facelift. Um, Is that correct? Well,
1: not—oh, okay. n- n- incorrect. You are oh. incorrect. We got, we got to put the eh in there. In 2000— <laughs> All right, yes. the name Buckshot Facelift goes back to, like, 2001. Okay. And it was just me with a drum machine on a four-track with some pitch shifter vocals, and I've thought about maybe putting it out as bonus tracks— with um, a re-release of something, but the problem is it's it's just a short, quick little blip of a thing. It's not that great. It's lo-fi. I didn't really release it at the time, but I called it Buckshot Facelift, and I made a cover, and I made a few copies for Friends or whatever. Okay, man. but it, oh, I so didn't you, even tape that trade was just, with that. That was just
0: you, just, like, fucking around, and you knew you wanted to, like, start yeah. a project with that name?
1: Yeah, I came up with the name Buckshot Facelift, and, the, and maybe, like, one or two of the early song titles, but it wasn't until then, like, 2004 that me and dan Baronello and dan holstrom um the three of us like started the band buckshot facelift and started rehearsing in rehearsal rooms uh the three of us wrote the song giving acid to a gorilla who knows sign language and uh i can control your mind by smoking god's toenail clippings and true love is a bell-fed weapon we had a theme with the song titles to like this like short fucking grind songs and long titles that was our thing yeah. and Um, Over time, the band morphed into, uh, Dan Dan eventually left, Dan played one show with us in 2005, our first show ever, and that was with also, Tom Ander had joined on bass by that time, as had Rich Mullen, we had two bass players, and Tom was kind of, if you know Buckshot Facelift, Tom was always doing what he's doing, which is kind of discordant almost more like guitar style stuff sometimes and like noisy stuff sometimes and Tom's just all over the place and the guy Rich was just kinda following the bass line more you know what I mean? Like doing a regular more style bass line we had two bass players our first show and then eventually Rich left and um, the guy Rich left and, and, and Dan Holstrom left so we didn't have a drummer and we were like down one bass player but Tom Andrew was still our bass player so we were good and we recruited Sal Sal had been in a band with Dan Baronello called perception on Long Island they just recently put up an old video on YouTube a hardcore band and um, that was me Tom Tom on bass me on vocals obviously Dan on guitar and Sal on drums that was like the first what two albums and uh, some split tapes and the demo and we played a whole bunch of shows and my only regret about those years is it was <laughs> We had, a lot of, we had a lot of fun, we had a lot of weird nights, there was a lot of drinking, a lot of partying, our shows were kind of weird, like, you know, it was, it was a crazy time, and probably what you might expect from the name Buckshot Facelift, man, that, that like, initial classic uh, lineup, you might say. So it was 2004 when we really got everything cracking, into 2005 when we, you know, 2005 there was like a lull, and then I remember you talking on the phone with Tom Manderer one morning, when I was on my break at work in 2005, and like we decided, like, yo, we got it, we got songs written, we got to keep the band going, you know. And then, then I think we brought Sal in, and then Sal's been the drummer ever since. We parted ways with Danny B in 2012 and brought Paulo Paguntalan, who the listeners though about, in for like a year. and He played on the album Elder's Rasp, and then in 2000, 2012, like a year after Paulo, Paulo left, and we got Rick and Terrell, who are you know now in the band still.
0: Huh. Yeah, every time you bring up a buckshot facelift on the show, which isn't that often, it always has to do with the context of uh, this gentleman, Sal Gregory. Um, hmm. What's that relationship like? I, I know you uh, have a, a love for that man; he's like a brother to you.
1: He is. Um, and if he wasn't like a brother to me, I would hate him. That's uh, <laughs> that's the best way to describe him. He's that friend of yours. He's that friend. He's that. You know, you ever see the movie Train Spotting? Yeah. I I haven't, you guys know I'm talking, I haven't seen it in many years, but you know the guy, he's got the long black hair and the mustache and he throws the the beer glass in the beginning of the movie and sets it off? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Sounds kind of like a Long Island, like a Mastic Shirley kind of Long Island version of that guy. He's the guy that's going to like kind of, you know, squash the party, like, all right, it's over, we got to go. You know, like you know, somebody comes. You're you're enjoying yourself in the backyard talking to some people, and somebody comes up to you like, "Yo, did you bring Sal? You better go check him out, man. He's you know, he's he's choking somebody in the front yard, allegedly. But um, <laughs> but he's calmed down a lot. when he was when he was younger, he was you know, boys will be boys. I guess I don't know what to tell you, man. But he's um, he's he's like a brother to me, man. He's like a brother to all of us. We've been in a band for years. He's one of the most talented brothers you could ever imagine. Um, and, and you know that's that's just the way it is. But he's that guy. He's that crazy friend. He's the wild card, you know. You go on, you put out Universal Goat Tilt
0: in 2007. Anchors of the Armless Gods,
1: 2009.
0: Scared yeah. Myself. I scared myself, correct? The EP.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was, um, yeah, it was like a live tape. Then we put it out online and on cassette, yeah.
0: Yeah, Elder's Rasp, Living Ghost of the North Shore, um, Buck at the Moon, Ulcer Island. You guys are busy. Uh, was there ever, like, a touring cycle, though?
1: I know you guys were playing a lot of local shows, but... Well, there's been ventures out of state. Like, we went down to Delaware for a day, and it was actually pretty sick. The guy, Alex Sadat, who books uh, shows kind of, like, uh, up and down the East Coast, I know, you know, like, freak, you know, infrequently or here and there or whatever, man, and he'll do, like, you know, stuff... I but uh, he booked us at, like, more of, like, a punk squat house type of situation in Delaware, of all places, and it was fucking amazing. Um, we had a video for the song Salt Milk, uh, where, where you see us in this tiny little basement with these punk kids freaking out, and it was great. And um, we did that. We did, like, kind of a... I call it a New England tour. We played in a basement in Vermont. Uh, shout out to John Berg, who booked us there. And we, and we played in, like, an art gallery in Rhode Island. And... We played at the LNG Club in Connecticut, which is like a historic punk rock club that I believe has closed down since. So, uh, and you know, and and we've we've been down to um, uh, uh, Pennsylvania a few, you know, we've been up and down, you know, like Pennsylvania, as far down as Virginia, uh, but no touring, man. More like weekend things here and there, man. You know, so we've, Buckshot Facelift has not traveled a whole lot. The dream has always been with Buckshot Facelift, maybe to do a West Coast tour, or to just go a whole, full, all the way down to Florida and back tour. But, you know, who knows what's going to happen, man. Buckshot's mm-hmm. always been the band where um, it was a little loose and, and chaos and, and, you know, young on all, all, all our parts in the beginning. And, um, you know, nowadays it's more of an issue where, you know, normal stuff, man. We're all older and working. Uh, some of the guys are family guys, so that slows everything down, man. But you know how it goes, man. That's part of the game.
0: You're doing the Buckshot stuff. Uh... BioLich is done 2006. Around two th- yeah. around 2007 you joined Andromorphus Rexalia
1: for a short time. <laughs> two- yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, tell us about your short little stint there. That was wild. I played one show uh, and I think that was at was it Lucky 13? I forget now. But um the Andromorphus Rexalia is or was at the times, you know, the guy Joseph and, uh, the guitarist. And Wilson, the drummer, uh, who were, were also both, at the time, in Animals Killing People. I know Wilson is like the constant. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the diehard. We've talked about Wilson because he was in Compromises with Paulo on um, episodes of Paulo. Right. Um, and they were looking for a singer, and he approached me because he wanted the guttural style, and he knew me from Biolich um, and stuff like that. And the problem for me was driving out to Brooklyn. I would drive out to Brooklyn and rehearse with them, and... Um, even if it was like once a month, maybe it would have been cool. But he wanted total dedication and commitment. He was him, Wilson. I'll say this: being in that band with with Wilson and Joseph, but especially with Wilson, because he was kind. He was the he's the captain. He just he's he steers everything. He's got every he, he's showing me the lyrics. He's trying to make sure that the lyrics are right, even though it's guttural vocals and all this. He wants the guttural be, wants the vocals not to be pronunciated, but he wants to make sure it's the right lyrics. And he was just dedicated to his vision, which I supremely respect, but was hard for me given the distance. If you lived right around the corner, maybe it would have been a different story. But I've also come to see in myself that maybe I need to be the one in the band who has this vision. You know, and, and is that committed to it in my own way, because I'm the lyricist or something. But that's another story. So I was in Endomorphus Rexelia for maybe a year, maybe a few months, however long it was. Played one show. I, I have a rehearsal tape with me and Paulo both singing, because the, the, the um... The show I played with them, it was me and Paulo both doing vocals, which was the, the arrangement for that brief period of time. And then I left. Uh, I called up Wilson. I told him, uh, you know, man to man, that the drive just couldn't work with me, with where you know how things were for, for right now, and you know, it wasn't uh, it wasn't a situation I could commit to. And I knew that he demanded a lot of commitment for, from people for his band, which I respect, but I couldn't do it, and um, I left on a handshake. Uh, with that band, and I, you know, I still see Wilson around from time to time at shows today, and Joseph too, and they're they're good dudes, and and we get along. So, I I was in that band for several rehearsals in one show, and um, you know, it just didn't work. You know, if we lived closer, it probably would have worked out better, but that's that's how it goes, man. You know. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, he the way he runs his bands, Wilson inspires me a lot in in my my vision of how I do things. Him and uh, Greg Layman of Telak Vovin. Both those guys are just so focused. Totally different bands and projects and instrumentalists, but uh, they, the, their commitment and focus is mm-hmm. like they remind me of each other in a, in a way like that. It's a good trait to have. Yeah. And
0: it's almost like, you know, you still got your hands on the segue a little bit because something I want to talk about oh. where, where you had, you know, a lot of control and a lot of creative uh, Big Will, Uncle, Bill Pulaski. Huh. Fans of the show know uh, your love of hip hop. But they might not know uh, that you rap yourself. You had a pretty, pretty active SoundCloud page up uh, t- yeah, until a few years ago. Uh, I don't know if you want to talk about that. How long you've been rapping?
1: You know, what's, yeah, I, I I wrap myself in Saran wrap every night before <laughs> I go to bed to keep myself fresh. <laughs> um. Oh boy. Yeah. I. Uh, well. The same death metal crowd. The guy, you know, Tom from Biolich and Adam and a couple of our friends. Um, And I ended up rapping with Adam's younger brother and recording, you know, just recording freestyles. We never released a lot of stuff. Uh, But it was just, it was more just something you did off the cuff uh, when you were hanging out, maybe allegedly drinking and and partying or whatever when we were like 17, 18, 19, into our early 20s. And a lot of, like, Tom Andrew and um, our local friends from Huntington we had a whole mm-hmm. crew of people from Huntington who are maybe more affiliated with the hardcore scene and things like that, but we all used to hang out in our early 20s, and, you know, when you're, when you're having a few beers or hanging out, you freestyle with everybody. And, um, and I took it to the... You know, I'm, I'm already writing lyrics all the time for my death metal bands and my projects and stuff like that. It was kind of natural. Yeah, I'm going to write raps now. And I start spitting the written stuff when everyone's freestyling, and before you know it, my friends, you know, who, who rap or make beats... Especially in the early 2000s, it seemed like everyone had a little studio in their bedroom or their basement or something, and everyone was recording little CD-Rs and burning CDs of their mixtape and stuff. And me and Adam's younger brother and I had Garbage Style, and I was part of the Garbage Style crew, uh, MC garbage Bio. Garbage Style. Oh, I
0: yeah, love Yeah, we
1: recorded tons of shit. We just never, you know, we never really, like, put it out. It's, I was working a lot of jobs at the time, really, and mm-hmm. playing a lot of shows with Bio and Buckshot Facelift, and rapping was just like a... a a extracurricular thing, man, and I—I I still, I might even get it in me to record a song one day again. Who knows, man? It, like the last four or five years now, I'd say, I every once in a while I'll just write a song or write two, two or three songs and go to a studio and record them and put them up on the SoundCloud and that's that. Man. And call it a day. Who knows, man? Like I just. It's just one of those things where, man, you know, maybe I'll hear a rap song and it inspires me, or I hear whatever, I see something, whatever it is, man, something clicks in my head and I start writing, you know, but for the most part, with all the stuff that keeps me busy with my death metal and and whatever else projects, the extreme music vocals, you know, that's my heart. And that's one thing I've really discovered about myself over the years, too, is that's my heart. It's it's not, as much as I love hip-hop and I listen to hip-hop, I don't keep up with a lot of hip-hop. I listen to the same classic stuff I always listen to when i write i write a certain style and i might i might record a serious release one day or something like that but i don't see myself ever committing to hip hop full time like the way i do with, with death metal you know
0: yeah nice no, just uh, you know it's another um it's another flex another uh, hm. keep, keep the tools sharp you know
1: yeah keep the writing skills sharp man you know it's if you know if you look if you read my lyrics for artificial brain and buckshot and whatever else a lot uh, you know there's there's got to be a hip-hop influence in there because I, you know, just the way, you know, it's called alliteration. See, I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I am literate, you know. A- alliteration, it's a word, man, but, it, you know, it's the way, you you know, you write. <laughs> That's yeah.
0: the one
1: with the letters, right? That's the, those. Yeah, you, you use the same use letter letters. multiple times within, like, a, a phrasing of something, man. Come on, man. Shout well, out to all the hipsters who think
0: yeah, I'm Yeah, and uh, I, I, do. I urge our listeners to go check out Will Rapping. It's fun. Good stuff in there. Old I Old Souls don't. Collective. <laughs> well, you're on the yeah, podcast. I don't. This is, this is what happens when you're that seat, Will.
1: I know. I, I'm just kidding. People, again, like the... like <laughs> this the, is the my Biola recommendation stuff, for this week. You know, or like anything. There's even certain recordings of my bands, uh, other other projects out there maybe floating around the internet. Man, if people are going to listen to it, they're going to listen to it. If they get something out of it, great, man. At, at one point, it was something that was within my heart to make. Uh, so even if I listen back now and I'm like, uh, ew, should, I, should I keep that on the internet for people to listen to? It's like, whatever, man. There, if somebody so. wants to listen to it, go for it, man. Yeah. That's the uh, same dude gurgling over the Artificial Brain record, man. Maybe you get a kick <laughs> out of it.
0: Uh, yeah. So it seems like there was a, a bit of a lull uh, with the Buckshot releases in the early 2010s. But that's also when you were recruited to join Artificial Brain. You were recruited, right?
1: Yeah. I applied oh. I um They were looking for a vocalist And Paulo knew them And knew they were looking for a vocalist And told me And I sent an email to Sam Smith Um uh, You know explaining uh, You know Paulo told me looking for a singer Da 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 I would met him like maybe once or twice When I was in BioLich at shows or something And um I drove out to Valley Stream To uh To Keith, the drummer's basement where they were rehearsing at the time. It was like 2009, I want to say. And kind of just freestyled some stuff over songs they had. And they they gave me a CD that had some instrumentals burned on it. And it was a wrap. That that was it. I was was an artificial brain at that point. Nice. Um, 2009. And that was three years after Biolids broke up. And during that time, Buckshot Face, like I say, it was just kind of a little chaotic. It was, you know, on my end too, man, I'm not trying to say I was innocent in any of that, man. It was just kind of, it wasn't... I didn't take the helm, and I think maybe people were looking for looking for me to take the helm with the band, and maybe I messed up some things that people were looking for me to. So I'll, I will even take more of the blame than other people, but Buckshot Face just wasn't running how I expected it to uh, because maybe I needed to step up, you know, at that point. And um, Artificial Brain kind of just... I was able to do the gurgly death metal vocals again, which was always in my heart. And um, it gave me like a second uh, life. Uh, Because if you look, 2009, I'm in my late 20s. By the time Artificial Brain takes off and records our demos and starts playing shows, I'm in my early 30s. Uh, And that was, yeah, that was definitely my second uh, life with death metal. Um, Because Biolich had broken up, and I put so much of my early 20s and my teens into Biolich and it all went to shit. And uh, I, at that point, I was like, "Well, buckshot is cool, and it's my friends, but who knows what? What, what are we? Gonna, you know, people weren't feeling us or whatever." And then artificial brain came along, and it kind of just it gradually changed a lot of a lot of things as it as it picked up steam. Big turning point. In
0: 2014, you guys toured with uh, Piran and Geigen. Was that the first? Oh yeah, big tour
1: that Brain did together. That was the first big tour we did. Road trips. We, you know, we we would travel. We. <laughs> Artificial Brain has done some of the craziest road trips you could imagine. Just crazy, you know, marathon driving to get to, to some place and, you know, drive nine hours and go home so someone can get to work the next day and all that. You know, we, we're famous for that stuff. But um, that, I, I believe that that tour was probably the first time we really went out there like that for a few weeks at a time and went across the country. I, yeah, that was it.
0: Hell yeah. Uh, was it kind of a, a surreal thing to you, touring with Demolich in 2018, having been in a Demolich workshop band in your youth?
1: Well, I don't know um, if you realize this, but Dem- Biolich opened up for Demolich in their first U.S. tour in 2006.
0: Uh, I remember that now. You did tell me that a while ago, about I yeah, yeah,
1: the band actually broke up about three. If I remember correctly, we got back in late July, maybe. Yeah, whatever it was, we broke up that October, like three months, give or take a few days, from when we got home from that tour supporting Demolish, yeah. and that tour in 2006, I wouldn't say was very successful. I don't know that it was well organized or well promoted. I would say that Paragon Records had BioLich's back more than any label, I think, would ever be expected to have a band's back uh, with a tour situation going to shit. They really... Um, Jim, who was working for Paragon at the time, uh, drove us, was our driver, and supported us, and and fi- they financially supported us, I think, more than they would have ever been expected to, and Paragon was just had our back, 100%, because they put out that space, in, space Between Home and Today EP. So that was like... But altogether, for Demolich, I felt bad because at that point, Demolich was not revered to the point they are today. And I don't know that the shows were very well promoted to the cult underground people or whatever it was in 2006. And the Brooklyn show was great. There were a few shows that were really good. There were some shows where there was only a few people, but it was still very good. And there were a few shows where it was just like, damn, you know, you you'll be win some, you lose some. And then to come back in 2018, I said this over and over again, and I'll, I'll repeat myself here. It was heartwarming and amazing to see those guys come back to a full-on win and to uh, play pretty much sold-out shows that entire tour with Blood Incantation and Artificial Brain supporting them in 2018. That was a remarkable experience to really see Auntie Bowman and those guys come back and and, uh, and, and get a big win and to be part of that team, just, just to be there in the background, to be there in the support capacity, man, that that was... It, it really like to be there in 2006 when it was still some good times and good memories, but it was a, it was a hard experience and the band I was in was fucked up and broke up a few months after that. And then to come back in 2018 and it went so much smoother and and better, man. It was a great experience. It felt it felt like a hard won uh, victory, absolutely. That for Demolich. and just for to be part of it was you know I, I'm prideful of that. Go through these notes, my digital legal pad. <laughs> you're a Italian, bro. Get on Metallum,
0: <laughs> you, bro I'll send you the document later You're,
1: you're too <laughs> thorough
0: uh, So Coma Cluster Void
1: <clears throat> Oh, wow I was yeah. only able
0: to find that you left that band in 2015 Couldn't find a start date And also you never actually recorded anything with them Is that correct?
1: Well, yeah, that's a band um, I want to say based out of Germany If I remember correctly um, and uh, Mike DeSalvo uh, of Cryptopsy fame ended up um, singing for the band. And uh, as did Austin Weber, um, who people may know as, as a metal journalist as well. Um, but uh, it, the, the internet recording, if I knew you guys back then, it might have worked out. Because you guys could have helped me out. But it just wasn't in me because I didn't have the technology to record from my house um, like other people do, and I ended up going to a studio and paying out of pocket. It just, it just was not for me how things were working. Um, I've never been the high-tech capable member of the band. I'm a little bit better nowadays than I was back then, and I, you know, luckily I got you guys around me, so there's certain things that you could facilitate for me, but being part of that band as part of an internet-based collaboration was just not in my capabilities at that point, and, um, and I'll even go so far as to admit that uh what 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 was the years you were saying?
0: um well, I was able to find that you left in two thousand and fifteen. I don't know when you joined. I mean it couldn't have been i I, I, I think
1: that's when prob- that's probably around the time they started the project. i know I mean I kind of joined cut a demo in a studio out here and sent it back to them uh there was a you know a little bit of back and forth through email and messaging I think Facebook messaging or whatever, and I tried to change some stuff and send it back and it just was not working out for me. I was going out to a studio in Patchogue, I believe, because I had a friend out there, and I live in Huntington. It just, again, the distance, uh, you know, the, the distance even on Long Island between me and the studio I was working out of and then the distance between me and the band, that didn't work. It, was, it had nothing to do with musical direction because Com- Coma Cluster Void is a really interesting band musically, and people who are into artificial brain might get something out of that band, I think, so I would recommend it, definitely. Or if you're into Mike Salvo, look up that. But um just wasn't wasn't the right logistics for me to be in that band that is the bottom line so uh you know but i was flattered that they uh they invited me to do that band i think they probably heard me through artificial brain and um unfortunately you know the heart the heart was there but the um the technology wasn't
0: yeah sometimes you just gotta walk away from
1: stuff sucks. Well, yeah, but. that's that's one thing I've learned over the years is that I'll, I'll try a lot. Of, I'll, first, I put a lot of thought behind agreeing to try a project out and then at that point, too, I, I, I'm very, you know, I'm slow to commit to something and um, you know, because it's, it, the older you get, you've been through experiences like that and I don't want to let anyone else down, you know, either, you know.
0: Yeah. Um... Uh- <clears throat> So uh, in 2016, you're presented with the opportunity to front Afterbirth, uh, a band uh. whose Psychopathic Embryotomy demo was was a huge inspiration uh, to you, uh, especially Matt Duncan's performance. And uh, yeah, that band had been had reformed <clears throat> in the uh, 2013 or 2010s about that, and we're playing as an instrumental. You joined in 2016. Uh, just, maybe just go into that a little bit. Who reached out to you? How- like, what well, a cool opportunity.
1: Yeah, after Birth Reformed, I think it might have been 2014, and cut a demo with Matt Duncan, and played a few shows with him, uh, and at some point parted ways with him, um, and was playing as an instrumental band for several years, at the, uh, and then, or two, at least for those two years or so. Mm. And they had an instrumental album completely written, and we're actually shopping the instrumental album to Labels uh, and um, reached the conclusion that they wanted to have vocals on the album but it it wasn't working out I guess between them and Matt and Matt wasn't available for for that reason, for that purpose or whatever, to do the vocals and they reached out to me initially to do, I guess you could say, you know, like session vocals to record the album Not just to full on join the band or whatever it was and and things like that, and um, then uh, Matt Matt committed suicide, um, uh, which is tragic. And I, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, I I met Matt twice when I was much younger as a fan, Uh, and not even Afterbirth was broken up at that point. But he would, you know, I met him at a rehearsal studio, Dare Studio in Long Island. He was hanging out with some people I knew, and I met him. And then he happened to be at a death metal show that I was at when I was a teenager, and I was introduced to him briefly. Fan of your band? Thanks. You know, peace. And that was it. So I didn't know him. I was just a huge fan of his work in the band. And for the other guys, obviously, you know, it was really tragic. You know, they knew him since they were kids, practically, since they were te- early teenagers, and there was a lot of history there. And and it sucks, man. And, um, uh, you know, at that point. Um, we were already, I think, done, or we were in the middle of recording the album, and um, uh, we shopped it, and Unique Leader picked it up, and we put it out. And um, uh, we, you know, we play the occasional show, but with Afterbirth, it isn't always so easy to get out there on the road again. People are, you know, those guys. First of all, Dave Case plays in Helmet, uh, and has for several years now. So he's home a certain amount of the time, and then besides that, um, the other guys are both uh, more family-oriented guys, uh, which is respectable, absolutely. And um, they work full-time jobs, and um, uh, you know, so there's there's kind of a constant rehearsing and writing that goes on with Afterbirth weekly, like clockwork, which I really appreciate because it's nice to have that to go to on the weekend and to see my friends and to go to a rehearsal room because that's how I'm used to working. And not all my bands work on a basis where you can see the, the actual people once a week and jam the songs. And, um... I feel like I can say this without sounding like I'm bragging, because I don't play any of the instruments in Afterbirth. That's why they sound so tight. And, uh, that's why they record the albums live like they do, you know? Um, because it's just rigorous rehearsing. And I learned so much just from working with those guys, and I feel like I've had to tighten up myself. It's it's been uh, it, it's been like a real humbling experience working with those guys, and it's it's like a, a building experience working with those guys. And um, of course, you know, rest in peace to Matt Duncan. It's it's a tragic kind of tie into the whole experience. Um, but you know, I, you know, we've used some lyrics of his and we, and um, you know some parts that he's written, and we've you know we've tried to you know pay tribute to him. And I've said before in the past with what I do in the band, even as the band writes increasingly more progressive material. I see my role in the band is to always pay tribute to the vocals for the psychopathic embryotomy fans like myself, for those low-end bullfrog, you know, cricket, whatever you want to call them, death metal vocals. I'm going to try to provide that, you know, as best I can for Afterbirth, so the Afterbirth logo and name are always synonymous with that vocal style, you know, which is what I would want as a fan, you know, so it's, it's, it's like an honor and it's a crazy batch of mixed feelings, but it's, it's crazy to be in Afterbirth and I wouldn't trade it for anything, man, it's a beautiful experience.
0: Beautiful, and um,
1: <clears throat> I know you were just mentioning
0: how you know th- those guys are practicing all the time. Uh, just to be clear, when you recorded "Time Traveler's Dilemma," there was no compositional like you—you you basically didn't have any say on what was going on. You just knew that you wanted to record with this band, and they wanted you, so it was just like, okay, do the vocals on top. Um, was there anything different about doing? four-dimensional flesh with them like involvement wise perhaps writing being able to suggest things Um, anything along those lines
1: well with yeah like with time travelers dilemma I was just kind of sent an an instrumental album and and uh, you know and and song titles and asked to write lyrics to those song titles Um, you know which with Afterbirth you know, 90, 90% of the song titles, um, you know, or Cody or the other guys come up with, and I write lyrics based on their song titles, which helps to keep it more differentiated aesthetically and lyrically from, like, say, Artificial Brain or Buckshot, you know, just so it's not the same guy writing everyone's song titles. Um, but, but with Four Dimensional Flesh, I was in the rehearsal room with those guys every week. Um, You know, I was talking to those guys. We played a show here or there. Uh, You know, we had bonded more and gotten to know each other on a personal level more, and we had shared our ideas and our visions for the album more. I would say, you know, Afterbirth is definitely spearheaded uh, by Cody, the guitarist. Uh, And a lot of it is his vision, I would say. Um, and, And then the signature of Afterbirth is the three of those guys together. Which is why I say I just try to keep it real. I try to keep it funky like you, know, like, like Matt Duncan did with the vocals man, you know, and um, just be that element to the band and, and as best I can. And um, so I might have I contributed a suggestion here or there, an idea here or there. I might, have, I might have said something that that you know. I oh, I could do this style of vocal, and then maybe it'll it elaborated apart. Who knows, man? You know, organically, you know, a lot happened. So I was, I was there during the writing of Four Dimensional Fletch, which you know, I definitely wasn't for Time Travelers, um, and and maybe I also had a lot more time to work on the vocals for Four Dimensional Fletch. Because think about it, with Time Travelers, those guys had already recorded all their parts, been sitting on it and listening to it and and I just kind of was like all right I wrote the album in you know a week or so you know and then four dimensional flesh as a you know as a week or two goes by you know you write the song then a month goes by now you got the song Uh, however long it takes the song's done now I'm writing that and now you guys are still working on the whole rest of the album so there's you know a lot of those songs on four dimensional flesh I had just as long to write the vocals and lyrics as they did to write the music parts so it's four-dimensional flesh, I definitely had way more time, and I was way more in, in, in like, like running on the same clock as those guys, in terms of the process, you know, so it was more organic in that way. Cool. Nice.
0: Well, well, you know, I, I'm sure you're a fan of the show, and, and like always, we want to be uh, <laughs> res- respectful of your time, and uh, you know, wind down a little bit now, but uh, we don't want to don't want to leave without talking about uh, your most recent project, or at least most recent release, with a reeking aura. Ooh, um, a project started by uh, was Ryan Lipinski of Under Unearthly Trance, uh, joined yep. by Tom Andrewer and Rick Habib from Buckshot and Grace. Guys Fallen, uh, we've mentioned Grace Guys Fallen on the podcast before. The listeners should be
1: familiar. Um, yeah, we had a whole episode with Rick. Yeah,
0: yeah so uh, we got Terrell uh, from Buckshot and Thetis along with Keith, Keith Harris yeah. from Afterbirth. Um,
1: <laughs> yep. well, yeah, well, super crew. Super. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it,
0: yeah, it literally is. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, how's that experience been, um, <clears throat> working with those guys in this sort of fresh, new fashion?
1: Amazing, great. Those guys are brothers, man. Um, I... I the, the the beans I'll spill is this. Man. We pretty much got the backbone of the album, dude. Everyone's so hyped. Is like the album is being written. A lot of it is already written. It's got to be elaborated on, and it's just it's great, man. You know, we got like the, um, uh, the, the 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 vision that you wake up from at 3 a.m. and you write it down on the notepad for the album, man. We just got to flesh it out, man. Everything's going good with that band, and it's the type of thing where it works really well over the internet. From a long distance how we've had to do it now unfortunately but it's that it works good like that and we're we're kind of um uh proactively scheduling like you know we're skyping with each other and uh we're, we're trying to make it work man so we're we're really excited about that band and just work those guys are all brothers man you know um obviously i've been i've been in afterbirth with keith since 2016 and i knew keith before that just from the local scene uh and he's he's a great dude man he's a friendly guy he's he's always a good spirited person and he's the type of guy that you just uh he's a natural talent on the drums man and even though i'm in two bands with him that's i'll say this i'm not trying to brag that's why i'm in two bands with him (laughs) uh because he's he's just that good man and i've thought you know i'll i'll tell him that too man you know i'm highly complimentary keith and um as for Terrell, Rick, and Tom, they they've you know Tom, I've I've known Tom since seventh grade, um, you know so there there's that, uh, and and Rick uh, and Terrell I knew before they joined Buckshot Facelift in 2012, which is uh, eight years now, which actually means that they have been in the band I think probably just as long or a little bit longer than than the other guitarists were in the band. Uh, I believe they've definitely recorded a bigger volume of material and played more shows. But, um, you know, those guys uh, and and Keith um, to be in, in reeking aura with me is just like all friends, all old friends. And then Ryan Lipinski, uh, I was acquainted with and had met a few times. We played shows together with our bands over the years once or twice. Uh, and I think he was friends with Rick over the years, and they were trying to work on music together. And he's turned out to just fit right in with the crew. And when we all see each other everything's great and it's all gravy and um what's amazing too is to have three guitarists a bass player a drummer and then an opinionated myopic asshole like myself and everybody um uh we just collaborate on this music and we love it and this kind of death doom style that we're proliferating with reeking aura is really exciting for all of us man and and we're hard at work on new material man so that's that's kind of like my baby, you know. Buckshot facelift is um, on a little bit of a hiatus, a little bit of a vacay. I wouldn't say the, I would never say the band broke up or anything. It's just a matter of, um, you know, you, you asked me about Sal before, so I'll just be frank about it. He's a family man. He's a dedicated, hardworking family man, and I have all the respect in the world for any of my friends or co-musicians who are family men and who have kids or a wife or whatever it is they got to do in their life um, aside from music, uh, you know we're you know i talk to him on the phone every once in a while and we have plans for new buckshot material there are songs written there are lyric ideas there's all sorts of plans for buckshot facelift uh but um in the meantime with reeking aura this is something great where me and the rest of the guys who have a little bit more time to breathe can can collaborate with each other you know so it's it's a it's, again man you know it's a quote-unquote beautiful experience which is uh, everything death metal to me you know fucking rad
0: dude uh and listeners can check out the beneath the canopy of compost ep uh that was released through that was that a couple months ago
1: yeah we put it out on Bandcamp, and it was just recently released on parasitic records on cassette tape which is fucking sick i'm yeah. very excited about it. I, I listened to it on the cassette and you guys know me i geeked out <laughs> it sounds nice and raw and a little bit peaked a little bit different from when you listen to it on the digital so yeah. i you know yeah, um, shout to Parasitic Records. Uh, you know, appreciate that. To that, that look, it's good. And uh, yeah, that's that. Yeah, beneath the canopy of compost, man. See alliteration, canopy compost. Come on, it's got the C bounce. See, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I guess that about concludes uh, the formal interview that we have flipped on you, sir. Yeah, did uh, I pass? I, thought, I think well you know we, win? we gotta wait to hear back from the listeners yeah, you know, we'll see I think it's pretty good <laughs> is there, is <laughs> there anything right, that, you, right. uh, that you'd that you like to plug um, you know well say it's yeah, well,
1: we, let's see Reeking Aura yeah the demo's out the tape's out working on the album Artificial Brain been working on the album um, Buckshot Facelift stuff in the cloud waiting to rain down one day uh, after birth, writing new material, fresh off that four-dimensional flesh, not trying to wait um, at all, trying to run the, run the victory lap. Um, and I'm behind the scenes collaborating with other musicians you may or may not know about. It's crazy out here, uh, absolutely crazy. And, and a personal project I'm working on, completely analog with a four-track cassette recorder by Tascam. Shout out to Adam Rotella for supplying that for me. Um, so it's 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 crazy, man. You know, shout out to everybody dealing with all the bullshit in the world. I'm taking advantage of more time in the house by uh, collaborating and making a lot of horrible music.
0: <laughs> awesome. Well, it's uh, you know, like I said before, you're. Um you you do so much research. Re, excuse
1: me. You do so much research for. Oh boy. You do so Tom, much refer, we're not allowed oops. to talk about that. That's a that legend. A that's a legend. That's a legend. Jesus, oops, I knew this was that. something. You guys are like FBI right now. You man. do all I, this. I'm hanging up.
0: You do all this research <laughs> for the podcast. You're doing this interview shit. <laughs> that was a Freudian slip right there. Yeah, man. Yes, oh, it was. Boy. But I can't take it back, man. Okay, okay I'm sorry. Ether. It's under the canopy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh,
1: I'm sorry, Tom. That was funny. <laughs> okay, go ahead.
0: That's up the. I said it. Uh, yeah, but you're doing all this research. <laughs> you got all these projects go- going on. It's cool working with you. Um, I'm glad we got to do this kind of episode because I know people have these, these questions because mm-hmm. you're there all the time presenting yourself as one way, and people know you have these other projects, so they want to hear this. So I'm glad we did it.
1: I, I appreciate it, too, man. A shout-out to the listeners who are interested in this stuff, man. And shout-out to you guys. Um, the podcast has been a whole new facet of my um, lifelong obsession with heavy metal man and this is like you know getting to interview other artists and learn like like I feel like I'm kind of, I've kind of been in some sort of ongoing college class for, for metal for the last year and a half that we've been doing this cuz I cuz I research stuff every week and sometimes it's like you got to fit it into your schedule but it's worth it it's it's just it's an amazing experience man and it, you know for the listeners if you don't know I'm not doing any of that sweet audio editing I'm not making any of those sweet pictures on Instagram. Uh, these are the men behind the scenes uh, making everything modern, so it's not just Will talking on a cassette tape uh, and, sen- <laughs> and sending it out to five dudes across the world, <laughs> which would be my podcast if it was up to me. So, yeah, man, so shout-out to you guys too, man. It's great. It's a bro session right here, man. It's, yeah. been, it's been really good, and um, it's, it's, uh, it's cool that we can still do this with Skype and uh, all this stuff that we use now. Recommendation hour. Who wants to go first? Who? Well, why don't you guys go first? Because I'm getting tired of hearing my own voice at this point. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners are too. Right. I already recommended every album I've ever recorded.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna take you like back in time a little bit, uh, but it's also the future. So my recommendation this week. is... Is out of Cancun, Mexico Which is just Hmm. perfect It's exactly where they they need to be from The band Jet Jaguar And their brand Their new album Endless Nights (laughs) They did it They fucking They they really did it So I urge everybody to go check out the music video For the single Blinding Lights Off of Endless Nights (laughs) They're they're rapping too So it's it's, it's so good Um This fucking winger, Bon Jovi, like, slightly Judas Priest kind of deal going on. This is just, like, arena, hair metal, rock. Like, I recommended this because yes. I, I, I I couldn't keep my eyes off this video and the singer and his, like, weird, nasally, beautiful voice. Um, I listened to it, like, five times. Now I hate it. I hate I can't stand it. But tomorrow <laughs> I'm going to start listening to it again. Uh, yeah, this is total like you know nineteen eighty five sing along arena fucking rock. Uh, there needs to be more tawny kitten in this in this video. Uh, it's just it's just them. There's no cars or anything like that, but they do have like previous songs about cars, so that's pretty sick. Uh, this band won the two thousand seventeen Wacken Open Air Metal Battle, which is perfect. That's those mm. are the kind of battles they need to be in. Uh, they more, were open. Oh, more air, more metal battles. Um, yeah, fucking rip the sleeves off of your shirt right now and uh, and check out Jet Jaguar's "Endless Nights"
1: and right. and just find someone to love. Yeah, <laughs> A few points. A few points <laughs> I want to bring up about your monologue. Uh, I believe her name is pronounced Tony Catane. Oh, okay. Um, oh. I've never seen the Pixar movie Cars, but I'll take your word on it. <laughs> And when I saw this video, I'm glad you brought up Winger. Because that's what immediately came into my mind, is our Winger discussion about how some of the more subtle, nuanced, uh, progressive, and even extreme and technical uh, details within the glam rock tapestry of this band might get lost on the casual listener. But sophisticated ears like our own would realize the brilliance herein. This is this is truly like the best part for me was they went with that "oh" chorus where they were just saying "oh" over and over again. Yeah, like, started I really thought right I, I was like, is this one of those avant-garde um, skittles or Old Spice commercials? Is this is this what we're doing now? And then the whole song came on, and I was like, wait a minute, this is kind of weird. <laughs> and like my brain was like will this is sick this is kind of <laughs> sick and i i was like no i don't want to admit it but justin you did it. It, it it's 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 a little sick it's there's, it's, some, dude, it, it's yeah, there. there's it's, something there there's something there fucking catch this fuck I, I don't know i don't know anymore i don't know well you'll definitely
0: be headed for a heartbreak if you don't check this out uh, <laughs> Jesus man. Christ, I just looked up Tony Catane now. Huh. She's like uh, Jim Carrey in the mask. He's got that plastic oh, surgery. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, man. Very scary. Yeah,
1: the plas- the pl- Still kidding to me, but I don't know words that well. Well, ladies, none of you need that plastic surgery. Don't do it to yourself. Come yeah, on, there you go. <laughs> oh, natural. Don't do it to yourself. Whew.
0: Tonight, I uh, stumbled across a band from. Uh, Belo Horizonte, Minas Gerais down in Brazil. A band called Drowned. You sure did. Well, yeah. There you go. What a yeah. fucking That's release. This is I'm gonna talk about their release that they put out. Uh, it's an E P called Back from Hell they put out in two thousand two. Yeah. Um Oh my god. Right? Like would this was a oh.
1: <laughs> this is like you're
0: you're looking for the right card to give your mom for her birthday. Um, at, at, at Rite Aid, and like you see the best <laughs> card. That's
1: the experience I had finding this band. <laughs> um, so, so weird, so like so oddly melodic when it's unexpected, and then so back to weird and brutal and ugly. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it. This is just a wild ride of a Metal of Death album.
0: I, I, I definitely would you call this a Metal of Death? It's a little too thrashy for me. But also, I'm not
1: I'm not the uh, authority on that. <laughs> I'm not the authority because <laughs> then we're going to get the feed. Will Will from Artificial Brains, he says he's the authority of <laughs> the middle of the. I'll he's the authority on <laughs> I kind of want that to happen. I'm trying to get you to have a lot like a flooded inbox. of yeah, just like is my band metal of death? I don't want beef with anyone's <laughs> warm metal band. Listen. Uh, no, but this this is just so crazy. The vocals just sounded like he didn't give a fuck, and um, <laughs> and then there's these rando guitar parts that just break. It, this was just if it's not metal of death, it's metal of something. It, yeah, it, <laughs> it was a wild ride into the abyss, man. This fucking record. What a, what a great death metal album. Yeah, for real.
0: Um yeah, it's a good one. Let's check it out. Drowned back from hell. The dog is go!
1: Um, I have to take you guys on a wild, confusing, and emotional ride through the Mexican death metal scene right now. Uh, Justin, interesting coincidence because we don't we don't plan this out. Justin, um, no. that we're gonna pick. Tom's off to over here with the Brazilian um, suggestion, and, and uh, you know here Justin and I both are with the Mexican. We, you know we didn't plan that, but um, something that uh, just came up in my algorithm is the band Putrescence. E-U-T-R-E-S-C-E-N-C-E, all right? And according to my research, as far as I can look into this, uh, there are two bands operating out of the country of Mexico with that name who have just recently released albums. Uh, One being Die Human Race, uh, and the other being Pestilent Deity of Death, both released by bands named Putrescence from Mexico. Uh, Metallum doesn't list either of these new albums. Metallum only lists one of the Putrescents from Mexico, uh, and does not list their new album. So this is crazy. Um, this is a Heavy Hole exclusive right here, and we'll keep you posted. But all I know is, in the interest of fairness, I will say, um, the one that released the Die Human Race, I'm realizing as I talk how hard it is for me to pronounce his band name, Putrescents. um... Die Human Race, you can check that out. It's a little bit more of an old school on the Brutal Death Metal type of uh, styling and suggested. But the one that I actually listened to and recommended to you guys and kind of uh, got my thoughts together on today before I realized there were two bands with this name from Mexico is the one that just released Pestilent Deity of Death in in, uh, like July 2020, hot off the press. And this album truly impressed me. Um, It reminded me in a lot of ways, uh, not so subtly, of their uh, regional peers or uh, regional forebearers' discords from Mexico, Um, and and a lot of the ways that the drums connect to the chunky blast riffs, and especially in the kind of almost monotonous deep guttural vocals uh, that have almost a spoken word effect in the way they're, they're pronounced over the music at times. Not to say these guys are to the point of maybe a viscera infest where they copy Disgorge Mexico's style to a, to a large degree. Um, these guys incorporate a lot of elements of modern groove-oriented brutal death metal. I don't want to use the slam word. But um, maybe enough to satisfy your 90s brutal death metal fan, but they definitely step it up a notch into the more, like, slam, modern, death metal uh, area, and in the classy way that you might expect from a defeated sanity or from a wormed, if I'm going to say that, because you have to be tricky when you navigate that territory nowadays describing music, because there's so much of it. But this, the thing that captivated me about this album and where I felt it succeeded... Where a lot of other music fails in this uh, like style is that it captured atmosphere and maintained atmosphere throughout the entire album. Um, there's a signature atmosphere to this album. It's super dark. Uh, it, the atmosphere is almost that of like a, maybe a more like early '90s doom death or black metal album in the I, I guess just the mood and the and the atmosphere in a way I want to say. Whereas the music. Is this wall of noise kind of wall churning wall of death low-end guitar uh, with blasting drums I when I make the Disc Mexico comparisons I'd say that these guys make it a little bit cleaner make the blasting a little bit less frantic and spastic and a little bit more precise uh, again with the more modern sensibilities but um, there's something to it and every once in a while the guitars break and do something kind of a harmonic uh, something lead oriented and they, they, they do it very sparingly. Uh, and it's not it's not an incantation clone. It's not an immolation clone. It's not another devourment clone. but I would recommend this album to anyone who's into maybe the more primitive works of like Cenotaph from Turkey or devourment, uh, like devourment's first album or something because it just captures that dark moody atmosphere of almost like a horror movie or something, but within the realm of groove-oriented, brutal death metal. And it also satisfies a lot of uh, older Discord Mexico's, like, aesthetic qualities in terms of how the drums meet the, the guitars and how the vocals convey ideas. It's, it's, it's really... I felt like just for me personally and what I've... my intake of death metal over the years and what people kind of know me to, to be known for with the brutal guttural death metal, the 90s death metal, this album is like a genius work within that context and, and kind of like one of a kind. It should be, like, in, in years to come, I think maybe this will be appreciated more. This is a really amazingly uh, done, independently released album that the full album is up there on a YouTube. Uh, you can look it up. And um, they I guess the band themselves have CDs. They have a fairly new Facebook profile. I'm led to believe that this is their first album, Putrescence from Mexico, Pestilent Deity of Death uh, from 2020. And again, not to be confused, apparently, allegedly with Putrescence from Mexico who just released Die Human Race, two bands with the same name from Mexico. Uh, is, this, is this a situation where one guy quit and took the name? I don't know. I don't know what's going on. If anybody does, contact us on the social media. But for now, I highly recommend uh, you make the choice and um, listen to both, and you tell me. You make the choice between which Putrescence album from Mexico you want to listen to, Die Human Race or Pestilent Deity of Death. They're both hot, uh, hot off the press, all right? guys you guys see so you guys open the bottle man i've been talking i've been talking and talking and talking now i can't stop that was uh pestilent deity of death um the, the new album by um one of those bands from mexico that we talked about but um listen i've done enough talking all right i've been yapping all night i appreciate the opportunity to talk about my bands and uh, some of my experiences man and i thank you guys for that
0: thank you for opening Cheers. up um thank you for being honest with the
1: questions. <laughs>
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's kind of like it's an AA meeting.
0: Well, I mean, what what else have we got? You know, I, I can't say thank you for your time because you're here anyway.
1: Let's thank the listeners for their time, man.
0: Thanks, everyone, for listening. We appreciate it. Thanks all the Patreon folks.
1: Hey. Yeah, and if you want to get to the bottom of this putrescence thing, I don't know what the hell's going on, man. Uh, social media, w- what's going on with that? I can't follow it. I'm too old. No, come on. I'm going to stop with all that. But heavyholepodcast.com. Is the spot to go, right, Justin?
0: I've been there before, uh, and not just <laughs> on my computer, but other people's computers as well. Um, <laughs> oh, I, I think that's how you works. get in trouble. Yeah, you, all you need is uh, internet access. You know, you can pay through, uh, you know, different phone companies, cable providers, this, this, and that. Uh, type in heavyoldpodcast.com You can search it on YouTube. Even maybe something will pop up.
1: You, <laughs> you know, the rest,
0: guys. I don't have to teach you the internet, all right? We're not. If going you back search to it on yet. Pornhub,
1: you're on your own, though. We didn't put anything on Pornhub, man. That's not. That's not us. Chill no, with all that.
0: Not yet. Well, oh boy. Well, when iTunes bans death metal, then we have to go there. But that's a different conversation <laughs> oh. for a different day.
1: Yeah, it's a whole different episode of the Heavy Hole allegedly.
0: All right, check out uh, OnlyFans.com Com slash Heavy Hole Podcast and uh, some extra treats on there for you guys. So,
1: um, yeah, allegedly, yeah, it's, it's my cat. It's pictures <laughs> of my cat and my pet frog. We keep it wholesome for the kids. Come on. I got no other URLs or anything to say. Oh, yeah? yeah. You know how many I got? One.